0: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I would like to begin on this wonderful day to call in the spirits to join us here for our proceedings. So I call out first to the ancestors. I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to the ancestors of the land, to the ancestors of the planet, to the ancestors of all things in form, all the way back to Grandfather Fire and Grandmother Ice, whose shape shifted immediately, of course, into Grandmother Water, and then back to Grandmother Ice, and all the way back to the great mystery who is our most fundamental ancestor, the great dreamer. So I call out to all of these ancestors to be with us here today to help us, the living, the humans, to understand, to help us, the living, the humans, to live well and to learn what it means to live in a way that supports all living things. And so I call out to all that is good and true and beautiful in our Ancestral lines, all the way back past the people and life as we understand it on this planet, through things we do not understand to something we will never understand. And I call out to all of those ancestors to be with us here today, to gather round, to hold us well, and to help us to understand what does it mean to be truly human. And with our awareness focused now in our bodies. In that most human of forms, let us reach down from our heart and our belly into the earth, all the way into the great mother, and call up the energy of the earth to be with us here today and to bring that great mastery she possesses about how to be in form in a good way for all living things, how to be diverse how to be changing, how to be constant, how to be here in form in a good way for all living things, the wisdom of manifestation. And so we draw up the energy of the earth to bring this wisdom with her. And we ask this energy to fill our bodies, to bring to us the energy that we need for grounding, for the feeling of belonging, and for having a sense of place and ultimately sovereignty in our lives. And we give thanks to the energy of the earth for home, for hearth, for connection and the interconnectedness of all things, for it is her dreaming that brought life as we experience it to this planet. So we give thanks to the energy of the earth and we ask this energy to rise up to restore and refresh and rejuvenate our own, and that we might feel um, ever more present here in this moment. With the energy of the earth within us, let us reach up from our bellies to our hearts to our minds all the way up to the sky, all the way to the highest power of the universe. Send by whatever name we call that energy, the true father energy, let us reach up to that energy and call it down, drawing in the wisdom of the cosmos. We call down in this way protection, and I ask you to call down blessing. I ask you to call down generosity and benevolence and all of the energy that comes from this sky energy above. And as we draw this energy into our lives, we draw in the energy of devotion, the energy of creation, the energy of precision and excellence. We draw in that capacity to express in our lives. And let's call that energy into our heads and our hearts and all the way down to our bellies. And let us open up for a moment to feel that grand dance of earth and sky, these two legendary lovers within us and the big love, the Tao moving and blending and finding balance within us, the exact perfect balance that will bring us into balance in this day. And we give thanks to the presence of both earth and sky within us. And as we come into balance in this way, let us invite the spirit of the heart to awaken, be full and alive within us and call out to the heart to be that powerful crucible that only it somehow wisely knows how to be in that great paradox of the fires of the belly and the clarity of the mind coming together in the heart in such a way that neither is destroyed and the essence of both is drawn into a third thing, which is the reason your soul is here incarnate, your soul's true purpose. And we ask that you find in the heart the courage to do something in this day to bring that soul's purpose into manifestation in your life and that you give your gifts to the world. So we give thanks to the spirits for this invisible energy for gathering around us here today to holding us in a sphere to allow us to be vulnerable enough to hear and to inspire us to speak and to allow all that happens here today to go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I want to give thanks, not only to the spirits who have gathered with us, to the beauty of this spring day here, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, to the sunshine, which I haven't seen very much of lately. And I want to give thanks to the people, to Gina, to Stephen, to Holly, and to those of you who have donated to the show in this past week financially. I give thanks to you for helping me to keep the show on the air, helping me to pay the actual bills required for this show to be available free um, as far and wide as the internet can reach. And so I give thanks to you that are help to those of you that are helping me to do that. And for those of you that have asked to be able to simply subscribe to the show, it requires a much higher tier of participation with PayPal, which I was a bit dubious about, but we are going forward with it. And so there will be that option in the future. In the meantime, thank you. I want to thank all of you that support the show in every way. Those of you who talk about the show, who send in questions, who share the show with others, and those of you who take what you hear on the show, that which inspires you, and do something with it in your life. That if we were to take the teachings of shamanism cross-culturally and to simply live them now, so much would change in our lives. And so I give thanks for all of you for everything that you are doing to keep the show alive, to keep it free and available, and to keep it vital and um. And to keep it so that it's it's meeting the needs of those of you who are listening. So thank you all. And I also want to give thanks to Co-Creator Network and for their um, constant and ongoing support and production of the shows. Now today we are live and you can call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from co-creatornetwork.com through the site, or you can email me at christina at lastmasscenter.org. Um, and I have one more belated thank you to offer, which I did post on Facebook, but I want to give thanks to the spirit of the air um, because there were tornadoes passing through and um, sirens going off for the entire time in Texas where the Co-Creator Network is um, located, the entire time of last week's show. And so I want to give thanks to the spirit of the air for whatever cleansing came of that. Um, May those who need healing find that healing, but also I want to give thanks for the fact that the show went on without interruption. So give thanks just so much in life. And so today we're continuing uh, talking about helping spirits. We're talking today about working with helping spirits, Um, and hopefully I will share something helpful with you about that i think that one of the greatest gifts in the reintroduction of shamanism into contemporary awareness um, is this gift of the skills for the direct communication with our helping spirits so last week i talked um, about what i sense helping spirits actually are largely inspired by questions from um, indrek a listener to the show um this show, last week's show, then inspired a lot of questions from other listeners, um, and I'm re- I'm grateful for all of these questions. They're um, wonderful, and they also um, speak to a level of participation in in these in the questioners' lives um, that really uh, shows a, an integration of shamanism and a use of shamanism in their lives, and that's very exciting. It's very exciting for me to hear, and so this show. Um, it's probably not the most basic show about working with helping spirits, um, although there are other shows in the archives that are very basic. And, you are, and there's, I don't know how many shows there are about helping spirits, but you could certainly go to the archives at whyshamanismnow.com and poke around and find a show that is more basic if this show doesn't seem to meet your needs today. Um, One of the most interesting things to me about helping spirits is the difference between how first contact shamans speak about their helping spirits and how we think about them. In short, I would say that the indigenous people and the first contact people in particular have a relationship from the heart with their helping spirits that is based on um, heart and experience and not necessarily theory. Um, and that this relationship is um, fierce and often frightening and very passionate and, and yet at the same time sweet sometimes. Just so, so sweet and loving. Um, it's big. It's a big, um, messy, messy, messy relationship. <laughs> and that um, contemporary people seem to have a relationship with spirit that's very clean and tidy. And that it, it's processed largely through the head and through ideas and concepts. And often um, my experience as I work with people is that they imagine that their relationship is from the heart. That it's a great dream that, it, that is infused in their relationship with spirit. But when I listen to them explain to me what they're actually doing so that I can try to be helpful, I see that the whole thing is still largely processed through the mind. Um, And so that's really a a big difference between indigenous peoples and first contact peoples with their shamanism and this contemporary reintroduction to shamanism. And Steve Bayer does a great job talking about this um, in his book, um, Singing to the Plants, which I highly recommend. Um, And the way he talks about this is very challenging. for us um, in our thinking about working with our helping spirits. His thoughts can be heard um, or some of his thoughts can be heard on our third show with him in the archives and also read in an article um, he wrote called um, What the Spirits Want that was written for the Society of Shamanic Practitioners Journal um, in last fall's issue. And that's available at the shamansociety.org site. Um, So in short, what Steve says is that the spirits want you to be human in right relationship with all persons, both human and other than human persons. So I personally, in my experience, have found that the spirits do want us to be human and that as contemporary people, we presume we know what that means. And that my experience working with the Helping Spirits is that I had absolutely no idea what that meant. None whatsoever. And that in working with my Helping Spirits and asking questions um, that were very challenging and getting answers that made me angry, that I cried about, that I didn't want once I had, I came to understand that I had no idea what it really meant to be human in spite of the fact of being human and that I really needed to get with a program here or I was going to run out of time before I really understood the art of being human and all the power wrapped in that and how profoundly critical it is that that power is mediated in the heart and how critically important it is that that heart is not lost in the unresolved issues of childhood, but that is present and potent and powerful here in present time in the adult life. Um, So what the spirits want from us is for us to be who we are and to do what we came here to do, not because they care about us, but because we are a face of the divine. They don't love us personally. They show us the true nature of our existence, which is love. And in that, we finally feel the love that is here for us and has always been here for us. So they do what they do, not because we are good people, but because we are part of the oneness and the true nature of that energy is love. So we as humans kind of get it backwards. We think they love us because, I don't know, we're good people. I mean, I think they do come to us because we're funny and we're interesting. But I think the bigger situation here is they're trying to get us plugged back into the big picture where we are in love because we are one with all things and to be human from that place. And I think we misunderstand the powerful love that we do feel from them and we take it personally instead of um, remembering the wise words of Don Miguel Ruiz, don't take anything personally. And that's not just a way for you to deal with the crappy things that come at you. But it's also a way for you to remember to not misguide yourself around all the wonderful things that come to you. So the basic difference here then in a world where the primary operating principle is that everything is connected. The basic difference then between moral and immoral behavior, which is something we talked about a lot last week, is that immoral actions feel like they take less energy up front and are enormously expensive in the long run. Moral actions feel like they take much more energy up front and are almost free in the long run. And so this is this is something I'm going to talk about a little bit here today in response to questions because our helping spirits don't help us because we're good people. They help us because we're human. And as humans, we are then expected to make choices around our, make moral or immoral choices. And that what we need to understand about these two words is these are not words that are defined um, in a helpful way via religion. That if we're going to understand the world as a great big energy blob where everything is connected, absolutely everything is connected and all is one, then the real distinction between moral and immoral is the amount of energy it all takes in the long run. Because in the long run, you see that how it connects and interconnects with everything. So I received this great email from a listener named Jessica with many, many great questions, actually. Um, but her main one was this. And this was in, in response to last week's show where I talked a lot about amoral. And I talked about the invisible world being an amoral world. And we here uh, who are experiencing this world of physical manifestation are in a world where morality and immorality matters in terms of the expense of those actions on the whole. But of course, whenever we're journeying or working with spirits, we, the human beings, are interfacing with this amoral world. And I talked about that quite a bit last week. So anyway, based on that, Jessica wrote this question. She says, you talked about helping spirits being amoral and willing to work with any human regardless of their choices in life, while earlier you talked about helping spirits being aspects of the source, as we all are. I guess I would like more clarification about what you mean by amoral. To me, there is a contradiction in the above because the only morality I recognize as real in other words, not construed by human culture is similar to what you said um, at one point in the radio show, the difference between choices that are in line with the flow of the great mystery and support the cycle of life that manifest our soul's purpose, etc., and the choices that go against all of these things. So her question really here is, what does it mean to be amoral? And she's looking at what appears to be this contradiction between the helping spirits being amoral and also aspects of the source. And of course, laying it out this way, the piece that's missed here is that the source is also amoral. Religion has so pre-programmed us to make this assumption that God is the source of morality. And the truth is God is omnipotent, right, in all the religious texts. God isn't moral or immoral or anything. He's amoral, right? And he's a he. (laughs) Anyway, so the point is all of the invisible world, the source, the oneness, everything, all of it is an amoral world. And the source is there equally for everyone regardless of our choices. Everything in the oneness, in that oneness sense of things is amoral. So as humans then, who are part of that oneness, of course, we also have to look at something else because of the nature and the effect of our free will on the whole, we also must learn to be moral and ethical because of the lasting impact and expense of immoral behavior. Not because it's good or bad, but because it's too expensive the damage sometimes is so great when it's rolled all the way out to its logical conclusion in the whole system of things that it's simply not worth it. So one of the things that inspired me around this thinking long before I knew anything about shamanism and helping spirits is an old um, 1953 science fiction book called More Than Human by Theodore Sturgeon. And... um For those of you that like to go off on little tangents and read interesting things that will make you think hard, I encourage that book still today. I haven't read it in a long time, but I kept it with me. I had four books I used to carry with me all the time, um, the way others would carry a Bible or the Quran or something with them. And this was one of them. It really made me think about um, my relationship with morality and immorality, which is, partly what is explored in that book in an interesting way so the thing that we contemporary people don't really even understand here then is the difference between amoral and immoral and I so strongly suggest that you explore this if you're going to work with helping spirits we as humans end up so deeply immersed in our human centered assumptions about things that we don't even really realize that the invisible world is functioning on an entirely different um, program, entirely different operating system, and that we are, as humans, both part of that amoral system and then very much at the center of this other system because of our physical manifestation that requires we come to learn and understand about moral and immoral, but that doesn't mean that moral and immoral describe the whole nature of the universe. They really are just talking about humans. So the other thing that we do, which I think is a deep problem, ultimately, is that we anthropomorphize everything. We turn everything into a human. And we've done this to the deities. And um, we need to stop that. If we want to work deeply with helping spirits, we need to stop requiring the energies that are here to help us become more and more and more human. We need to let go of that demand and allow these amoral beings to help to teach us to be truly and fully human in a way we don't yet understand what that means. I was just going to tell you a story about that, but i forgot what it was. So I'm going to just continue. Maybe it'll come back to mind. So helping spirits are not human and they do not come from a human world. They take the forms from our world so that we are comfortable with them. But those forms are not their forms. That you see this fact and I'll call it a fact, in this relationship between humans and their helping spirits um, expressed again and again and again in the first contact stories. Not necessarily what we hear now today uh, from Indigenous people because the Indigenous people have figured out how to talk to us as much as we've figured out how to talk to them. And that is, in some cases, I think, unfortunate. Um, But in the first contact stories, you really see how the shamans at that time, understood that the joke was on them, that the helping spirits were frankly shameless and willing to take any form necessary to get the um, novice or the person not yet understanding they're a shaman to wake up to their calling and to survive their initiatory experience and to persevere in their training and to be able to emerge as an effective shaman. And as as an effective vehicle through which the spirit energies could move through into the physical world to help the people. So what you see in these stories is the shaman recognizing that those original forms had nothing to do with reality, physical reality. It's just that the person, that young person was so attached to physical reality that the spirits had to play a part in it. Or the person wouldn't pay attention. And that over time. As the shaman became more masterful. And less. In, uh, immersed. In this old understanding. Of being a human. That is so locked in here with form. And really opened up. To some bigger understanding. Of what it means to be human. And to be straddling these two worlds. Um, in the very nature of being human. That 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 the helping spirits change form until in the end, in the latter years of the shaman's life, the helping spirits don't have any form at all. But that's because the shaman no longer requires it to to know the energies. And that, that this, this, um, and this evolution cannot be jumped over simply because you're exceedingly cool and educated 20-something in contemporary America and you have access to ayahuasca. That the fact that these stories exist speak to a human willing to drop everything they believe about what that means – And let themselves be re-educated by spirit. And through that developing a deep and long-term working relationship. And as the result of that deep long-term working relationship. The human no longer needs the forms. But it is arrogant for someone to perceive they can come into this relationship. Fully and completely as they've always imagined themselves to be humans. And because they're a groovy, hip. 21st century human, they don't need to go through all those steps and they can just jump right to the energy. Cuz the bottom line is if you whatever you jump to will be just as false as their sense of yourself is. So the what I was saying before I went off on that tangent is that helping spirits are not human and they do not come from the human world. And that the trick in working accurately with them and deeply and maturely with them is not only to remember that, that they're not human, but to explore what that means. What does it mean that our helping spirits are amoral? So as you think about amoral and immoral, back to Jessica's excellent question, keep in mind that in shamanic cosmology, in many, many shamanic cosmologies, the stories tell of a time when the plants and the animals and the divine spirit and the humans all spoke the same language, is the way it's always referred to. They spoke the same language. I don't think it really means that, but that's what they say. Spoke the same language. They experienced their interconnectedness day to day, and they all coexisted together consciously. And then in the stories, something happened, and the humans forgot the language. It's always how it says, the humans forgot the language. And then the humans forgot how to live in a cost-effective way. And in most stories, the humans were on the verge of dying out because they could not figure out right action. And so in the stories, then, the first shaman, whoever that was, which was usually, um, a multigendered being or raven or whomever it is who was the first shaman in the story, returns from the divine to teach the humans how to be moral and ethical with their environment and thus with themselves. And so that is the other thing to realize that there is a connection between the amoral invisible world and the energies that come from that world to communicate with us and our understanding of morality and immorality. But it doesn't have to do with good and bad and right and wrong. It has to do with coming into right relationship and using energy in a way that is cost effective because the whole system needs to conserve energy and the whole system is a closed system So anyway, in other words, if you look at the stories, these um, creation stories from shamanic peoples, we lost our sense of our amorality and descended into immorality. And then an amoral being came to teach us morality. So we humans miss the point when we make this discussion be simply about morality or immorality. We miss the point entirely. And we've been missing the point entirely for thousands of years. I mean, look around you as good, God-fearing people, from Enron to presidents who fake reasons to take their entire, entire country to war, to the people running big banks. They've done horribly immoral things for no good reason other than greed. I mean, that's been explained for eons, right? So here's the shamanic challenge, Let's go beyond the discussion of moral and immoral and actually explore what does amoral mean. So the shamanic challenge here this week, for those of you that have helping spirits that you can work with, is to journey with your helping spirits and ask them whatever questions you need to ask about these two different relationships. Amoral and immoral. And amoral and immoral. Just skip the whole morality, immorality debate because it doesn't get us anywhere, obviously. I mean, look at where we are at this time as a race on this planet. Go explore the relationship between amorality and immoral and amoral and moral and just see what you find out because this will greatly deepen your understanding of what your helping spirits are actually trying to communicate to you. So to understand this will help us in working with our helping spirits. It helps us to be accurate if we can learn to look at things from their perspective. We can better understand and interpret their answers is if we can see them through that perspective, through the helping spirits perspective versus always drawing the messages from the helping spirits through the profound filters of our little human minds. So what I see from doing healing work is that helping spirits do definitely work with all of us. And it's just something we need to come to terms with in this discussion. Uh, Not this discussion today, but overall, this, this grander discussion about working with helping spirits. They are an expression of power, and power is neither good nor bad. Power is neither moral nor immoral. Power is simply power. It is there to be used, which is why shamanic teachings all focus so profoundly on mediating power through the heart so that it will be used in a way that is cost-effective for all living things and that we do not sacrifice entire parts of our planet so that somebody over there can have seven homes. So this, this, is, this is really what is at the heart of understanding how to work with our helping spirits is being willing to find out things we don't actually want to know. Anyway, where was I? I got distracted there. Okay. So what I see from doing healing work is the presence of spirit in some nasty, nasty things. So when you get involved, for example, in unwinding old curses, um, it is can be really challenging if these are old, old curses because of the level of skill that people had back in the old days that, that worked with their helping spirits to make the curse. And and their their skill level at just plain old, real, real old magic and how uh, people set these things in motion and could even imagine that they could be set in motion. And so in some ways, we're handicapped by all of our assumptions that we make today. And so it's really clear to me that the helping spirits are not picking and choosing between moral and immoral people. They're clearly available to everyone. The way I look at it is they're willing to let us learn our lessons in life and support us in learning our lessons in life as hard as we want to. We can make that lesson as painful as we choose. And that they're right there with us all the way. And they get and we are completely allowed our free will to learn however we're going to learn. So the thing, the thing about helping spirits, though, that if we're going to work with them and give them the deference that I do think they deserve, then we must be able to believe fully that they have no agenda. In other words, I can trust my helping spirits in a way I can't trust a human teacher because they have no agenda. They help us because we need help in the expression of our soul's purpose and because the expression of our soul's purpose is one face of the divine wanting to manifest through us. So they don't help us so that we do it morally or ethically. They help us so that we do it. So we must ask the questions about the quality of how we do it. And truly, do not take my word for this. Go ask them. That's what I did. Explore it. I've explored this for years. And that doesn't, I'm not saying that to say my answers are right. I'm saying that to say it's really fascinating. I have explored this whole dynamic for years. This dynamic between my soul's amoral nature and my human desire to be moral and ethical. And this is, for me, it's fascinating and endlessly interesting to explore this. And then I get challenged by something that comes up in a healing session with someone. And then I go explore how that fits in. And then sometimes my whole understanding gets changed because of something that happened in someone's healing session. For me, that's a necessary part of being a contemporary practitioner because I had a pretty decent contemporary life. And there was nothing about that life that prepared, well, there's some things, but not much that prepared me to really understand how to be a shamanic practitioner. And I think if you're going to do this work and really work with helping spirits, you have to be willing to give it all away and utterly and completely change your perspective on everything and then do one session and see what's necessary to help that person to heal and have that upend the apple cart one more time and change it all over again. And that's part of being a contemporary practitioner. You cannot take those pat answers you're given in your basic classes. Those answers define the shamanic playpen so that you can begin to journey and work with spirits safely. And they're good. It's it's good. There's no problem with that. The problem is people that go on into a supposedly more mature shamanic practice without ever challenging those limiting beliefs. Without ever challenging their own limiting beliefs. Or with the naive belief that you only have to challenge those things once and then you're done. Shamanism and working with spirit is a path of mastery. And this understanding of what does it mean to be truly human goes on for a lifetime. So let me share an example. Now, like I said, don't take my word for it. Go do your own journeys. Explore it. Keep exploring it. Let me know what you find out. But in the meantime, let me share an example. So several years ago, for reasons that are not really remotely interesting enough to go into on the show, uh, my more advanced students, almost as an entire group, were very angry with me and were harming me, some intentionally and some unintentionally. Regardless of their intent or lack of intent, as advanced students, they all knew better. So they were angered uh, by changes I had made in the student community that is formed around the cycle teachings. So because I was being harmed and people in the community were being harmed, I asked my helping spirits how to clear this energy to protect myself and the community from the damage these students were doing. And the helping spirits answer was entirely traditional, retaliate in kind. So this, of course, amounted to sorcery. So I sat back on my heels there for a minute and considered this and considered once again the complexity, which Steve Baird, again, uh, talks about so beautifully, especially when you're in the Amazon and in um, many places where the indigenous shamanic culture has not been uh, railroaded by Western religions until only recently in the last several decades, that you see that the line between a shaman and a sorcerer is um, thin at best and that the shaman's job is to protect his or her people. And when his or her people are being attacked, the shaman's expected to retaliate in kind and to protect the people, even though that action could be interpreted as sorcery. And so it was fascinating to me to be an entirely contemporary position where I journeyed and I asked the question and I fully expected, you know, rituals and practices and this and that and the other thing to do. And it was real simple and real traditional, retaliating kind. What was I going to do with that? Okay. So I thought about it and I said, okay, I asked my helping spirits. Thank you very much. (laughs) And, um, how can I clear this energy and protect myself in the community, uh, and my community from damage, um, in a way that does not harm others. Now, I got some answers. For example, I got good answers for how to protect the community. And, the, and part of that was requiring that the community members wake up and protect themselves. And that, that was a good lesson for the community to realize, to not be so childlike in their um, love for the teachings and their need to protect the community around those teachings. But for some of the things that were happening, and these were active attacks and harm being done actively and intentionally. There was no response that did not involve harm of the other person or something. And the only answer, and, and I fought. I fought hard for these answers because, frankly, I was tired of being harmed. But there weren't any short of the one answer, which was gonna take months and not be a solution for the moment. Because in the moment, you know, shit was going down. People were being hurt. So what was the solution for the moment? Well, in spite, you know, if I had this requirement that I placed on my helping spirits that I do no harm, then I only had one choice. And that was to become a person who could not be harmed in this way. And that is not a quick fix, people. And yet, that entire experience was so educational of truly understanding the predicament of the indigenous shaman who is operating in a realm with identified shamanism and identified sorcery and the expectations of the people to respond. It's very, very challenging, and so to, to belabor our relationship with this amoral world that has so much to give us, so much clarity about how to truly be human, and clarity about what it means to be moral and ethical in our lives, for, for, for this relationship to happen, we must unshackle it from our very small human experience around morality and immorality that this is a deep and valuable exploration to take with your helping spirits do not take my word for it just take my word for the idea here that it's interesting and it's worth your time to go find out what do these what does the world a word amoral mean and how can understanding that help you deepen and mature in your relationship with your helping spirits. Okay. So with that said, what was interesting about that time and those journeys and the stress of it all was as far as I could tell, the helping spirits really didn't have any bias one way or the other. What I chose to do, they were just happy to answer all of my questions. It's not like they thought I should retaliate in kind That was just the answer to that question. It's not that they thought whether I should do no harm or not do no harm. That was my choice. So that was a qualification that I placed around the questions. And so they gave me those answers if they were present. But there really didn't seem to be a bias one way or the other. It's all one is really challenging. But it is all one. Absolutely all of it. So, from a shamanic perspective, everyone from child to adult has spirit help, though most contemporary people don't have any idea how to connect with that help or to use it. So, if helping spirits are present for all of us, then why are they so dang hard to talk to? (laughs) So, that's really the main focus of the show, but I really believe this whole exploration Of amorality and how that helps us understand what it could mean to be fully human is important for the advanced answers to this very question. Why are those helping spirits so dang hard either to talk to or to understand once they are talking to us? Okay, so one of the main reasons is our own expectations. That expectations, we, we have so many expectations as we come into our relationship to try to communicate with spirit. And we either expect that our helping spirits are these little hand puppets of God. And so we're appalled and we don't understand when they do things like eat us and poop us out the other end. Like we can't figure out what that means, right? <laughs> because they're supposed to be little hand puppets of God. Or we want something that is absolutely nothing to do with God because we're still mad at God and we've fallen away from whatever our religion was originally by whatever name we called God in that religion. And so we don't want the helping spirits to have anything to do with God. Well, the bottom line here is that neither of these positions will work. Neither of these expectations will work. Um, But I talked about this actually in depth last week. So I'm not going to go there again this week. So go download last week's show. (coughs) Excuse me. In which I was talking about what our helping spirits are and why they help us. And you're going to have to download a bunch of other shows because I'm not going to go into it right now. But basically... There are two main arenas for communication with spirit. One is the everyday connection where, the, where we are asking our spirit help to connect with us here in ordinary reality, everyday life, and help to bring us messages in our day-to-day existence. And then the other arena for communicating with spirit is our learning how to go into the invisible world, which is often referred to as journeying as being one of the most popular ways to do that. Of course, right now, access to plant hallucinogens and journeying in that way is very, very popular and oh, so hip and happening. And um, we had um, Robert, uh, Robert Moss on the show talking about dreaming and how we can use ver- cultivate various skills with our dreams to communicate with spirits. So there's basically... Two sets of skills, the ones where we are cultivating our ability to be aware of what spirit has to say here, while we're here in ordinary reality, where we live and breathe and go shopping and make babies and, you know, grow food, and then our ability to move into the realm that is purely of our soul or spirit and communicate with helping spirits there. And so those are the two main arenas for this communication. Now, what's important to understand because everyone goes, oh, everyday communication, that's boring, right? Everyday communication, following that path of learning and skills can bring you into full embodiment trance states with your helping spirits. And that is totally cool. So don't dismiss the not sexy But, um, everydayness of communicating with your helping spirits and connecting with them in your everyday life, because it can lead ultimately to a very, very powerful and very traditional shamanic trance state, which is the ability to move into a merged state with your helping spirits. And so a merged state with my helping spirits is what I teach from, you know, it's, I'm not talking in funny voices and my eyes aren't rolling back and my head's not spinning, but, I I do not know what is going to come out of my mouth when I am teaching, right? And so that's an embodied, it's a merged state. It's not a full embodiment state where I'm basically going away and just letting my helping spirit use my body, but it's learning to work at a place in between where my humanness is guiding the process that needs to happen and then the spirit's are moving through to communicate with that particular group and how that particular group is gonna engage in that process. So so when I observe uh, people working with their helping spirits, there's a real focus on journeying or only seeing embodiment happening in trance dancing or something like that, and not really uh, having the willingness to hunker down into the dailiness of communicating with your helping spirits on a daily basis here in ordinary reality. So another expectation that then gets in the way of that is our expectation that everything in relationship to our helping spirits be entirely supernatural. Um, But this everyday connection is really quite natural. Now, most of us, hopefully you can remember being a child And how your connection with your imaginary friends was automatic, normal, and ordinary. Remember how obvious it was that little people lived over there and there was a monster living over here and that you could play with them all day and be totally self-entertaining and you didn't think twice about it. Well, that child inside of you still knows how to do that and that child can guide you. Not some wounded child somewhere off in a corner, but the child energy that knows how to be in relationship with things effortlessly can guide you in being in relationship with your helping spirits. My little cat helping spirit is interrupting me here a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) So what we need to remember about this this requirement that things be absolutely mind-blowing and supernatural is that the big oneness, the big energy of all things conserves energy. If you don't need drama to get the message, you're not going to get drama. And so much of our connection or much of your connection with your helping spirits goes unvalidated throughout the day because it is too simple and too ordinary for you to believe in. Oh, and I just realized that I actually have um, a collar for once in a blue moon. Um, So... Why don't I take Lori's call? Lori. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Hi, Lori. What's your question? Well,
0: um, Spirit has led me to you today. Um, I saw um, something on the Internet that you had written, then I found your Facebook page, then I saw that you were having a call-in show or or a radio show, and it happened to be right at this moment. So um, they're urging me to ask you this question. Um, In the past month, I have... Learned of shamanic techniques. I have become a shaman. I have had an entire lifetime come back in, as well as fragments of three other lifetimes. I had a dream this morning, um, that led me to understand that I need to integrate. It was called, it it was about integration of the self. And I didn't realize that when you have, um, fragments and and lifetimes come in that you need to do work to integrate those parts of you. And obviously um, the dream that I had, I'm, I'm having some difficulty. And so I am at a loss as to what to do.
1: I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to answer your question in the context of the show today. Um, I think that one of the most helpful things, that um, our helping spirits can do with us is help us to look at the situation at hand, the situation at the moment being integration, to look at to look at the current reality of it and help us understand what steps do I need to take to get to the vision which would be integration, an integrated self, and so our helping mm-hmm. spirits are really good working with us um, if we can see the situation accurately. Because if we can't, we can't ask the right questions. But our helping spirits are really good with the present and the past. Because it it's already here for us to ask questions about. And so one part of my answer would be um, the helping spirits that have brought you into this relationship with shamanism should also be able to help answer your questions about integration. Okay, so that's one answer. The okay. other, The other traditional answer is that... The challenge with integration is that we are now faced with ourself and it is hard for us as humans to see ourself accurately. And this is the reason in traditional shamanic cultures, you would be doing this part of your work with an initiated and respected shaman because that person could help you say, "Mm, now that voice, yeah, that's really not your helping spirits. That's your false self. You know, don't listen to that one or, you know, and so mm-hmm. there's that place um, that humans have come to understand over time where we are just blind and deaf to ourselves, and, and we can't help it. And so that's the place, you know, because if we're blind and deaf to ourselves, we're also blind and deaf to the problem. And so we can't ask the right question to our helping spirits. That, that's the problem with that. And so that's the place okay. where we, as a human, then look for an initiated shaman that we can respect, who can assist us in that integration for those places where we are deaf and blind. Because because we are, I mean, it's not you. We as humans get there. And if you're really, um, it sounds like a lot's happened in a very short period of time. So the other problem yeah. with not being able to see through the integration would be, my guess is, it's just backlog. Like you said, you didn't know until now it even needed to be done. So it's been needing to be done from the very beginning of this process, and it sounds like you got fast-tracked. And so there's probably, you know, like a big old pile of boxes of old stuff that is, you know, between you and the door. You know, so it just needs to be sorted.
0: (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, a couple of years ago, I had a soul integration that was not um, done by a shaman. It was done by my guide, and um, it was very, very strange and very wonderful. And it took me a long time to understand it was a soul retrieval. Uh, my mind just couldn't go there. The horror of what happened, you know, in my mind, I didn't, I didn't understand it. Um, so um, I, 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 I do understand why these fragments and why this entire lifetime is coming back now. I get it. I just, I guess, what I was, like you said, blind and deaf and naive as to, well, of course, when someone comes home, don't you welcome them or don't you tell them what's been going on in your life and don't you share, you know? And but it oh, never. Okay, let me to jump
1: me. in. Let me jump in here, Lori. So, number one, soul retrieval and soul integration are not the same thing, right? Okay, so now integration, the important thing about integration, yes, is the welcome home and we're glad you're back and don't go away again and let me get this sorted out. But the integration is a very um, rigorous process, rigorous in itself honesty, that is basically sorting out what is to be kept and what is to be released. And that ultimately the self, the current self who's integrating and whatever fragments have come back. So that's like part A and part B will both be changed by this into being C, who does not currently exist. That's the goal of integration. Mm -hmm. And it's a sorting process. Okay. Okay? Well, that helps. That helps a lot. All right, Lori. Thanks a lot for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. All right. So. So we were talking here about communicating with our helping spirits, and I think what's important about that call to understand is that how we shape the question matters, and if we don't see the situation accurately, we can't possibly shape the right question, and that's why our assumptions are so profoundly challenging. Um, So what I wanted to do was to answer some questions I had received about journeying, um, but I'm not really sure we have time to dive into that. So maybe I'll um, come back to this topic after our uh, next week. I think, yeah, we'll come back to this next week. I was going to talk more about journeying and um, how do we uh, meet some of the challenging uh, issues that arise as we work with our helping spirits through journeying. Um, so before I uh, go on to that, though, I'd like to say something just about today's show and about this whole topic of being, frankly, willing, um, wise, though it was yet to be seen, whether it was a good decision to start talking about helping spirits and working with helping spirits beyond the party line, beyond the basics, beyond the, the, the answers that keep people in the shamanic playpen, which is a great place to start. The challenge that I'm having as the host of this show is I'm starting to get questions from listeners that simply are not basic. And, you know, if you all are the people who are listening to the show, maybe I need to go there. So before I go too much further about this journeying and working with helping spirits, I wanted to do a little full disclosure here today. I don't live a safe life. And it's important for you to remember that as you're listening to this show that, um, these ideas, um, which I'll share next week, um, come from my experience working with spirit. Um, and that hasn't been a safe process and, and, and more to the point in that process, I have not been looking for safety and I give my parents thanks for the fact that I don't have that right on the top of my list because I got it as a child. So I don't have a child self running around who needs that to be able to go forward in life. So I have great gratitude to my parents for that and my existence as a child. But much of what I know, and I'm sure you can see from the talking about amorality and morality and all of that comes from my own exploration with spirit in a life that has been truly and profoundly focused simply since my mid-20s on why am I here? And it's very hard to focus on that and try to be safe. And so as we go into this um, realm of questions and answers that are not um, necessarily basic anymore, y'all need to remember that. So if safety matters to you, it's important to acknowledge that. And then go ask for it. Um, It will likely involve getting soul parts back, integrating those soul parts and clearing. um, And this would be like things I've talked about at clearing or Colleen Dietzman talked about in her interview show. Honor the need for safety and then go deal with it. Honor that perceived need by addressing it where it is real, which is in your past, and resolve it there. That act... Of self-love will change everything, and when you change that within yourself, you'll change everything. Then in your relationship with your helping spirits, but also in your relationship with the Great Oneness. So thank you, everyone, for listening this week. I thank the helping spirits that have gathered around us, the ancestors, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone, and I guess all. Be talking to you next week.